Hello, people of the internet. This is the voice of Joel Crow, and if you're listening to this, then you are listening to the very first episode of a podcast, one, the first of many, I hope, where we are going to be deep diving some lyrics. We'll be doing some songs that you know and love, maybe some that you don't love so much, and uh, maybe some that you've never even heard before. And of course, there are going to be those of you who have lived under a rock your whole lives, in which case you will have heard of none of the songs that we'll talk about. But um, anyway, I, I hope that you have heard this first one. It's become quite popular in recent days, although it hasn't had that same luck when it was first written, recorded, and even had a bunch of different versions done of. Uh, until more recently, until the past 10 years or so, it's really had an explosion. And I'm talking, of course, about the song Hallelujah, written by Leonard Cohen. It was written and recorded first back in uh, 1984. Well, it was recorded in 1984 and written over a span of several years before that. I'm not going to go super in-depth into the history of the song, the writing of the song, the biography of Leonard Cohen. A lot of other podcasts have done that, done it pretty effectively. So uh, I'm going to leave that up to them. But what hasn't been done, at least what I haven't heard, and if you know of any good podcasts that have done this, go ahead and point them out to me because I love to share information, learn new things, and see how other people have approached uh, these kinds of things. But uh, I honestly haven't heard any podcast out there that is doing a really deep uh, um, deconstruction of uh, the words of, of these important songs. Um, and that includes Hallelujah. There's a lot in there. And I know papers have been written on it. A lot of people have expressed their opinions. But I find that often, often, um, people give a really broad, uh, idea of what they think are the themes behind the song. And they don't really get into the nitty gritty, uh, tearing the song apart. Um, and that's what I want to do. I, I want to really get into, well, what does each line mean? What does each verse mean? And, and, what do the you know we can talk about what you think this means or that means in a general way but let's put it into its context and talk about why you think it's talking about that certain issue or that certain um perspective so um we're going to be doing this for hallelujah i'm going to go ahead and play the song first for you because i am an amateur uh musician as it were as well as a amateur podcaster, uh, as is evident. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play the song for you so that we're all on the same page. I'm going to be doing the same four verses that you've probably heard before. If you're not, uh, someone who has followed all the different versions of the song. Um, so Leonard Cohen, uh, recorded this back in 1984 and, um, Frankly, his version is not the best. Uh, he's a real strong songwriter, not the strongest singer. I think most people would agree with that. He wrote this song, and um, it is a beautiful song. Um, but uh, he, he uh, I, I think he originally wrote like 40 verses and then narrowed that down to 15 verses. 
and then eventually gave us four. But those four are not the four that we typically hear. We, we typically uh, go by the uh, Jeff Buckley version of the song, which, uh, in my opinion, actually does have the four strongest verses. And those, of the, those are the ones that have perpetuated um, through most other versions, most other artists' renderings of the song. So those are going to be the four that we're going to tear apart. If you want to hear those other verses uh, done a deep dive on, go ahead and send me a message, leave me a comment, let me know. Maybe we'll do a longer episode down the road where we get into all those other verses and figure out what he was talking about in them. In the meantime, I'm going to focus on these four verses that most people are familiar with who love the modern renditions of the song. And uh, we'll go from there. So here you have the song Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. I heard there was a secret chord that David played that pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing Shoot at somebody who outdrew you. 
Before we start on this deep dive and really start unpacking it, I want to uh, just give you a few kind of guidelines for uh, how we're going to go about this. We're going to analyze it basically as if it were a poem, because it is. Uh, Songs basically are poems, and an important thing to understand and realize about that is that writers will, well, good writers, try to do two things more or less simultaneously, and that is to be brief and also to be meaningful. So as a result of that, they will bake in uh, more than one meaning oftentimes into a line or into a verse or into an entire song, and uh, it can be fun to unpack that. However, that does not mean that every interpretation is equally valid. If that were the case, I wouldn't even bother doing this kind of a podcast because You could just say, well, everyone has their own interpretation of what it means. And a lot of people do say that. And those people are wrong. Okay. Um, There may not be a right answer, but there are definitely wrong answers. You can't just read into a a song, whatever you wish it would say, um, and, and not support it by the context. So, We're going to take the song, look at it contextually, and think about what potentially could be uh, reasonably taken out of this song. So, initial impressions, questions about the song. This is a a good way to start, is to think about, you know, what did you notice about the song? What questions do you have? Um, So, the, the big question that lingers in my mind when I start to deconstruct the song, when I started for the first time to think about what it really means is who is the you or uh, more exactly who is the ya, right? (laughs) Because he kind of bends that rhyme in order to force it to uh, work with hallelujah. So who is the the ya that is being addressed? Is it a different person in different verses? Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, the other thing that really sticks out to me about the song is that it talks about two things that a lot of people would put in two very different categories, and that is religion, right? Because he references the Bible a ton in this song. That's undeniable. He's definitely at some level talking about God in this song and God's relationship to man. And then he's also undeniably definitely talking about a romantic 
relationship. Um, I, I think that people sometimes go wrong because they want to fixate on one or the other and, uh, and don't see uh, these two meshing in the song. So those are my initial thoughts. If you have some of your own, write them down and, and maybe we'll be addressing them as well. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started. The, the first verse, I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing, hallelujah. Now, some people have reasoned that because the song goes on later to talk about a romantic relationship, that he's just always talking to this girl, but... Uh, that he's talking to some romantic partner. Frankly, I don't see that. I don't know how you can square this verse with that theory. Uh, it doesn't make any reference to physical beauty or to the struggle of a person-to-person relationship. So what or who is he talking about and talking to? Well, let's start with what we know. Uh, there's a guy named David in the song, and that is a reference you probably recognize somewhat to this person in the Bible who is a, he eventually becomes a king. He's the second king of Israel. And he is this guy, by the way, uh, hopefully you know about him if you're Jewish or Christian, but even if you're not religious at all, don't have any interest in hearing or talking about God. Um, I couldn't recommend more picking up a, a Bible just to read the story of David. It is riveting just as a story, just as a brilliant piece of work. David is this man who is righteous and also deeply, tragically, horribly flawed. Um, he messes up so much in such terrible ways and then also comes back around to repenting before God and, and considering his own ways and bettering himself and learning how to uh, be a better man. And then in many ways, not not learning and not learning from his mistakes. Anyway, so there's this guy, David. He is a musician. He's said to have played the harp and he played in such a beautiful way as to be able to soothe the soul of uh, the king before him, King Saul. And uh, so Leonard Cohen makes mention of this kind of secret music, uh, the, the secret chord that pleased the Lord. And I think where this comes from is um, if you listen to enough of certain kinds of Christian radio, uh, you're going to eventually hear an ad come on where someone is saying, uh, We've discovered the secret music that David once played, the music that soothes the soul. And it's this idea that um, there is this kind of special secret music out there that's been found after all these years. And I'm sorry if you are someone who subscribes to this kind of stuff, but I consider it pure charlatanism. There was no musical notation back from that time, so there's no way that anyone could figure out what music sounded like back then except for maybe by looking at the history the evolution of music in our own time in which case if you go back you know just the few hundred years that we are able to 
there's some music that doesn't sound very pleasing to us these days that sounded apparently very pleasing to them. Anyway, the thing is that people have this desire to, and it's, it's very compelling, it's very appealing for people to try to make the case that God listens to the same kind of music that they do, right? That there's this special kind of music out there that is especially pleasing to God and just so happens to be the kind of music that I love, and that's why I'm better than you. Um, there's this strong tendency for us to put God on our level as if he were just a person who has certain tastes. But Leonard Cohen here is saying something really, really, I think, very deep, very theologically sound, and that is that you don't really care for music, do you? He's he's addressing this idea that there is special kind of music out there that is particularly pleasing to God, but God doesn't even really care for music. So then what is the point of music, and why do we play so much of it, and why do we play so much religious music? Why do we try to please the Lord with our music? I think that's what Leonard Cohen is addressing particularly as he goes on and he talks in musical theory terms, which I'm not going to go super deep on, but um, when he says it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, he's what he's doing is he's playing the four chord in that key and then the five chord in that key. And then he goes on. It's the minor fall, the major lift. Those are the that's a, a minor chord and a major chord. And this whole song, by the way, is very major, minor, major, minor uh, from the verse to the chorus. It's uh, to uh, to make it uh, maybe a little bit clearer for people who aren't real into music theory. What I'd say is that any two bit musician can write a really stupid, simple song based on just the major chords, which are one, four and five. But it is the minor chord. It, it's minor chords that give the song character, that formulate the song, make it something different from other songs. Anyway, I won't go any more into that. But um, as he's talking through the idea of composition, he's talking through what it's like to be experiencing music. He's also talking about the ups and downs of life, right? Because when we, when we write these songs or when we say, sing these songs without even necessarily knowing it, when we play these songs, when we sing these songs, we are experiencing in our soul a rise and a fall, a, a lift, right? A fall, a, a minor fall and a major lift that, uh, that we can't even necessarily articulate very very well um, in fact that's why we turn to music right we can't articulate it with simple words which is why we couple it with something that has such deep symbolism to us anyway this is all of this is the baffled king composing hallelujah now the king is david right he he is the composer king but why is he the baffled king and some people might even ask, what does baffled mean? Because it's not a word that we use a whole lot anymore. 
Um, but I, I probably most people recognize that as a word that means confused, right? But it's stronger than that. It's it's a word. I mean, you can be confused by losing your way and then somebody gives you some directions and then you realize where you got turned around and you figure it out. But to be baffled means that you are lost. To be baffled means that you're you're struggling with something and it's not getting any easier. Um, and why would that be the case with David? Well, I have an example here for you because although we don't have any no- musical notation, we do have the words that David wrote because he was a lyricist, a, a writer of words as well as of music. And he wrote a, a ton of songs that in the Bible are called Psalms, that is spelled P-S-A-L-M-S, Psalms. And uh, to all intents and purposes, they are just songs, but they're generally addressed to God. And many, many of them are written by King David. Here's one example. This is Psalm number six. He says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. And this is a a psalm that I uh, cherry-picked because it shows what I want, want to show. It shows it very clearly, but... This is a common theme throughout all of David's writings that he acknowledges that life is really tough, really difficult. At the same time, he doesn't uh, he doesn't despair. He well, he seems to despair. He definitely writes a lot of things that that don't uh, exactly conform to what we understand as Christian music today or religious music in general today because it is so dang depressing sometimes he uh anyway i i think that's that's what leonard cohen is pointing at is that uh, david he lived in such a broken world as we all do and he was such a broken man as we all are and that's why he's the baffled king and frankly i think that uh, as we find out uh leonard cohen is also giving us this picture of David because he's a picture of us because we are the one who we are the ones who live brokenly broken lives in broken times and we are the baffled king and we're trying we're 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 composing hallelujah but that word hallelujah it's not just a word of happiness and joy and gladness it is in this song, and he, he it's, it's very clear. This is the thing that people often say about the song, and they get right, is that the word hallelujah in this context is not just something of joy. It is a tension between joy and sorrow, between 
happiness and pain and and the acceptance of pain and uh, and trying to come to grips with it so that's the first verse for you and then he he goes through and sings hallelujah 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 it's uh it's interesting that he he uses that repetition as if once again articulation of more and more words just doesn't compare with repeating the same thing over and over again that gets the same idea across that uh, life is full of pain and sorrow and grief and at the same time we can experience such amazing emotional highs and uh, you know peaks just as much as valleys Anyway, we'll go on to the second verse here. He says, Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. But she tied you to the kitchen chair. She broke your throne. She cut your hair. And from your lips, she drew the hallelujah. All right, so what is this verse talking about? Well, um, I've... Well, we'll kind of get into it. Uh, the first line, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. Now, this is a classic problem for anyone who is religious, right? Is that we desire to live by faith in the sense that we have to be trusting and we know that nothing that we believe can be proven or disproven. Uh, that is, uh, that That's just kind of the nature of all religion, of all faith. At the same time, we do want to have an a uh, informed faith. This is not a blind faith. This is not something where you don't have anything to go on. We experience true miracles. We experience true things, and we want to experience more of them. But uh, but this line is pointing at somebody who has a faith, has a devotion to God, but it's wavering. It's wa- wavering because. Well, just like David was uh, writing in his Psalms, sometimes life is just so dang depressing that sometimes it's hard to believe that God is powerful or that God is good, that both of those things can be true. And uh, obviously we don't have time right now to get into a deep theological discussion about all that, but uh, it's certainly out there, those kinds of discussions. Um, So... Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. Now, this is talking, again, about King David. Uh, This is a reference to the story of David and Bathsheba, which, by the way, if you you don't have the energy to read all about David in the Bible, just go and read the story about David and Bathsheba. It is an amazing story. Uh, And it's one, more than any other, probably, that showcases David's brokenness and tendency towards corruption, his humanity, and then also his ability to come back from corruption. I'll go ahead and summarize it real quick for you. Um, So he is the king at this point. He's King David, and he looks down at night from the palace wall, and he sees a woman bathing there in the moonlight. And it is, uh, just like Cohen says, her beauty in the moonlight 
overthrew him. I love that word overthrew, right? Because he's a king. And what does it mean to overthrow a king? (laughs) He loses all his power, right? And what is he really being overthrown by, right? It's not Bathsheba didn't wish this on herself. You know, I guess I'll go on with the story here um, because he goes and because he's the king and he can basically do whatever he wants, he has her brought to him. He finds out that she is the wife of a mighty soldier in his army, a guy named Uriah, but he doesn't care. He takes her anyway and he sleeps with her. He gets her pregnant. And then in the rest of the story, he's trying to cover up what he did because she gets pregnant and uh, this guy Uriah is, is such a, a good guy because um, David uh, David tries to cover it up by having him sleep with her you know, quickly enough so that there won't be uh, too much said but um, Uriah refuses to go and spend a night with his wife while all the other soldiers don't have that privilege of being with their wives so um uh, Uriah is shown to be a great man who is then, eventually, David so fears losing his dignity and and uh, everything that he has Uriah killed in battle, basically. Uh, like I said, you, you just have to go and read that story. David's um, good friend, the prophet Nathan, comes to him and tears into him. Uh, really comes down hard on him as he should uh, for the wickedness that David has done. Anyway, her beauty overthrew him. What does that really mean? Like I said, Bathsheba didn't wish for this to come. She she didn't, uh, you know, try to overthrow him. But Leonard Cohen is talking about something that happens all the time, which is that men are made crazy by beauty by lust by their own evil desires they are overthrown it doesn't matter whether they're a peasant or a king we are overthrown by our desires and it does something to us it it does something that is and, and it's also kind of it's kind of part of the design right it's this is not something that is just an evil thing that was placed into us because God is awful and he wants to torture us. This is a good thing that beauty can be a thing that overthrows us. It's a good thing that love can make us crazy, right? And, uh, and that, I think that's, that, that's what Cohen is getting at, right? He's getting at this nature of now he's so, so now he's moved from, he's still talking about the Bible, of course, but He's moved from talking about love for God and God's love for us. He's kind of merged that into talking about romantic love, the kind of romantic love that David had. So there's the faith that is wavering, and then there's also the kind of faith in in human love, in, in more kind of sexual love, right? There's something there that... Just like we were talking about in the first verse, it has the minor fall and the major lift, and it 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 breaks us down and it lifts us back up. And uh, and then he actually brings another story from the Old Testament into it. He he talks about Samson and Delilah. Um, so going on with the song, he says, "She tied you to the kitchen chair. She broke your throne. She cut your hair." 
and from your lips she drew the hallelujah. Well, uh, uh, there's really no reference to a kitchen chair in the Bible necessarily, uh, although maybe that is talking about um, what is kind of considered in in the stereotypical way kind of the domain of the woman, right? That she is, uh, she is kind of forcing this powerful, mighty man into her own domain. And, uh, <laughs> you, you could take a super, uh, feminist, uh, approach to this. I'm not going to necessarily do that, but, uh, there's, there's maybe something there, but she, uh, she broke your throne. She cut your hair. Now the story of Samson and Delilah, um, you may or may not be familiar with, uh, Samson was a known, was a ruler of Israel before they had kings. He was a judge. Judges were the rulers. Um, but they didn't have quite as much authority as a king ever would. Um, and this great man, Samson, he was great in strength, uh, not necessarily great in intellectual prowess and frankly there's not much reason to believe that he was a very righteous man that he was a guy who obeyed any of the rules um really most of what we have in the bible about him is not very uh um not very praiseworthy anyway he uh he is the leader of israel however and he marries this uh woman from another country uh, Delilah, and she ends up selling him out to the leaders of her country because she finds out the secret. And this is one of those stories in the Bible that comes across as very fairy tale ish. Uh, I want to be upfront about that because when you hear this, you're going to say, wait a second, that's in the Bible. You Can you really, can anyone believe that, that, that that's actually history? Um, the thing about Samson is that he is a mighty man of strength, but his strength is incumbent on his following the legalistic rules of a Nazarene covenant. Um, and part of that is that he is never supposed to cut his hair. Um, so he, uh, so there's kind of this idea that if he ever gets his hair cut, he loses all of his strength. And, and that's exactly what happens eventually. Delilah sells him out to his enemies who cut his hair and, uh, and he is overtaken. That's quite an incredible story in and of itself, but very different, isn't it? It's very different from the, the David and Bathsheba story because the Samson and Delilah story is one where Delilah is actually a bad woman with, with evil intentions and she's, um, you know, causing the, the death and the fall of her husband um, purely for political, um, you know, moves purely, purely to benefit her country. Um, and, uh, on the contrary, of course, as, as we were saying, Bathsheba doesn't have a choice in the matter. She, uh, she is very much the victim of her story. And yet David Cohen is pointing to the same aspect of both stories, which is that, Again, men are overthrown by their desires for women. Men are made crazy by love, uh, by this romantic love, by by their own. Um, and it, and it's 
intermixed. It's not all one thing or the other, but it is intermixed with sexual appetite and lust, right? Um, and, and so this is the thing that from of old has caused the fall of many a mighty man and continues to do that today to high and low alike, you know, to kings and peasants alike. And, uh, and then from, from your lips, she drew the hallelujah, right? Even in the midst of all that, even in the midst of the darkest times, whether it is a woman who is, who is perfectly innocent and we are the one who is, uh, exercising horrible uh, authority and uh, and uh, victimizing her, womanizing her, or whether um, she is the one who is taking advantage of us willingly, it comes back to that same that same tension, that same uh, minor fall and major lift, right? That same uh, tension of 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 what is human broken love and we're still singing the hallelujah and he goes into the chorus hallelujah 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 all right now we're we're going into the third verse here <clears throat> and uh these last two verses by the way are the ones that are different they're not the ones that Leonard Cohen originally recorded um but they are the ones that are most familiar to us now so um, baby, I've been here before. I've seen the room. I've walked this floor where I used to live alone before I knew you, but I've seen your flag on the marble arch, but love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. All right. So now we seem to have left all trace of the Bible behind, right? From here on this song, or at least that is to say in this verse, this song is, um, merging fully into the sense of a romantic relationship versus having anything to do with God or anything to do with the Bible. Um, you know, he, he's obviously talking to a romantic partner, calling her baby. Baby, I've been here before. So he's looking around himself. He says, you know, I've been here before. I've, uh, I've looked at all these places. Uh, I'm familiar with my surroundings I've uh, I've seen the room. I've walked this floor, in all these places where I used to be alone, before I knew you. So he, um, he's he's remembering former days, right? And I I think, if I if I'm putting my own construction on this, I I think you could take it more than one way. But my construction is that he is not remembering those days fondly. He is grateful. He's grateful for the the love that has been brought into his life that changed and shook up his life and made him experience where he lives and all these things in a, in a different way. And then, then he says, I've seen your flag on the marble arch, but love is not a victory march. It's cold and it's a broken hallelujah. The flag on the marble arch. What, what is that? What does that represent? Well, a flag generally has a significance 
about um, you know nationality, uh, you know, meaning actually not not like ethnicity, but like about the nation. Um, it's even got the connotation of a a wartime or or some kind of achievement. You know, think about uh, the Americans planting the flag on the moon, um, right? Because they were they were um, they were broadcasting a, a great achievement. This is something that I've done. This is where I am, and uh, and so you could look at this verse and say this is a a girl. This is a girlfriend, a wife, who is um, broadcasting her achievement of having kind of taken over. You know, this was the place where he used to live alone, and he used to be the king. He used to be in control. And now I've conquered. Now I'm in charge. Now I've got my way. Um, actually, you know, I, I think that that interpretation doesn't quite fit the mark. It doesn't quite fit the rest of the song. Um, I think that, once again, uh, this is meant to be seen in more of a positive way. I think that he is acknowledging and, and again, happy about the fact that she has kind of overthrown him, right? In the way that David was overthrown by Bathsheba. He is himself kind of half glorying in the way that she has conquered his heart and conquered his life. And again, shaken him up and made him experience these things in such a different way than he used to. And, um, but, but it's, it's not all positive. Right, it's it's not a victory march. It's not um, it's not something where one person wins and the other person loses, and then the winner triumphs. And it's not uh, it's not an achievement for the the one who uh, you know. It's not a totally positive thing for the one who has been conquered either. I mean, it's also not something where the one who has been conquered looks and says, yes, I'm so glad that you came in here and now life is perfect because we're together and aren't we such a lovey-dovey couple? Um, Of course, I think everyone understands that relationships don't work out that way ever. And uh, so it's not a victory march in any sense. It's, It's not pomp and circumstance being played while we um, you know, go marching around and and uh, are in constant joy over what's happened. Um, it, it's a cold and broken hallelujah. That word hallelujah, again, it's not, it's cold and broken, but that doesn't mean it's all bad, right? Because something that is cold and broken, it can still be um, honest, right? It's, uh, it's got both aspects. It's, uh, this is something that you're, you're going to feel, um, because you're not always going to feel in tune with the one that you're in love with, right? Or, you know, the person you get married to, uh, sometimes you're going to be alone with your feelings and you're going to be singing that cold and lonely hallelujah, but even that can be in its own way, a beautiful thing, right? I think that's what he's getting at. Um, yeah, 
yeah, I, I think that's all really I can say about that verse. So we're going to move on to the last verse because, of course, he goes into the chorus that is hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll talk about this final verse. He says, maybe there's a God above, but all I've ever learned from love was how to shoot at somebody who, had, who outdrew you. And it's not a cry that you hear at night. It's not somebody who's seen the light. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. And, uh, boy, this verse is a powerful one. Um, he's, this is probably the most autobiographical, you could say, of all of the verses that Cohen wrote, because his whole life he did struggle with faith in God. Um, he he was raised as a Jew. As far as I know, he was never a Christian or entertained the Christian belief, but he, I believe, later on became a Zen Buddhist monk. Um, so you see in that that he kind of ran the gamut of religious ideas and and struggled to find that personal relationship with God. He's definitely searching for it, though, right? He's definitely reaching out and, and trying to take hold of, uh, of knowing who God is and, and why we're here and what this all means and, and why God put this thing inside of us that makes us crazy and makes us sick and makes us in love with each other. <laughs> that is the, the cause of so many, again, I'm going to say again, the minor fall and the major lifts in our lives. Um, so he says, ultimately, maybe there's a God above and, uh, all that I've ever learned from love was how to shoot at somebody who outdrew you. That is, that's such a powerful image, but it's easy to say that without thinking about what it means. What does it mean? What does it mean to outdraw someone? What does it mean to be shooting at somebody? Well, um, we're, we're talking about gunfire, right? We're, we're clearly talking about some kind, you know, imagine yourself in a Western film or, or something. And, uh, this town ain't big enough for the, for the two of us. Right. So one person there, there's these two guys. One of them's probably got a white hat. One of them's got a black hat, the good guy and the bad guy. And, uh, they've got their guns holstered and they've got their hands just hovering over the holstered gun. And, uh, and one of them is going to be faster than the other, right? One of them is going to outdraw the other. He's going to, he's going to make it and he, he gets his gun out. But before he can get the bullet, before he can squeeze that trigger, he gets shot. The one who outdraws the other is the one who (laughs) ends up getting shot. And he, uh, that's, that's kind of the image that Leonard Cohen is drawing, right? He's saying, Love is the thing that allows you to shoot at someone who outdraws you. Somebody, there's, so there's somebody who is more expert than you at something, at, at love. You know, we're, we're clearly talking about love. We're talking at this point, I think, well, I, I was going to say about romantic love again, but he's, 
He's gone back to talking about God, hasn't he? He's kind of brought this full circle. Uh, You know, what I think, those two ideas are so intermixed that I think the point of this all is that we will consider those two kinds of love to be united, to be a unit, that, that the kind of love that we feel for each other, even with all the romantic connotation, even with the baggage of sexuality and all that, it is inextricably connected to faith and trust and, uh, and, and those higher spiritual feelings that we all feel, those of us who worship God, those of us who believe in God, um, those two ideas are incredibly linked. And I think that's something that, that Leonard Cohen is pointing to. So whatever the case may be, when you're talking about love, when you're talking about um, whether it's a faith kind of love or a love that's based on sensual feelings, it is uh, love. Love is a thing that allows you to shoot at the person who outdraws you. Love is a thing that that makes us kind of crazy. That distorts the natural order of how we think things should be. Uh, love is the thing that takes legalism and and draws mercy into it. Love disrupts the the natural order. L- love is the reason why an innocent man will suffer and die to save the guilty one, and and that that's seen as an act of justice, right? It's uh, all of this stuff. It's just shooting at somebody who outdraws you, and it's not a cry that you hear at night. It's not somebody who's seen the light. Cohen has clearly taken some shots at certain kinds of faith here, right? Certain kinds of um, demonstrations of faith or announcements or pronouncements of faith, meaning that um, when people say kind of haphazardly, people will say, you know, I I used to be a non-believer and then I saw the light and now I'm you know, a Christian, yay, or a Jew, yay, uh, you know, or a Muslim or, or whatever you think it is that is the secret uh, thing that you've found that now has brought you in line with God. When in reality, there's still a lot to figure out, right? Because life is still always going to be that hallelujah. And it's that, that it's that way with God and it's that way with finding someone who is a romantic partner is that it's never going to be perfect and it's never going to be figured out all the way. It's never going to be a perfect blind faith. And it's also never going to be provable by actions or by the right thing to say, the right thing to do. It's a, this is a, it's more complicated, right? It, it it's just all very complicated. If I if I could get this song across in in two words, as silly as it is, I would say the uh, the short version of this song is it's complicated. You know, you might say I'm in a relationship and it's complicated. No matter whether it's a relationship with God or a relationship with another person, 
it's complicated. <laughs> it's always complicated, right? It's never perfect. That that doesn't mean that you're not devoted to that person. It doesn't mean that you don't fully believe in that person, believe in your love, and that you are devoted and um, determined to see it through and and uh, and to honor your commitment to that person or to God. Um, but it's 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 never as simple as I saw the light now everything is perfect, right? And it's not. Uh, you know, a, a cry that you made at night and then suddenly everything was perfect. And um, all it is, is he says it again, it's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. It's something that we struggle with on a day-to-day basis and it is something that we, um, it, it's 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 just something that, Again, to take it back to that first verse, I know I've said this a lot in this episode, but it, it really is, comes back to that idea of the minor fall and the major lift. It's there all the time. There are those things, just like we read about from the Psalm number six from David. He has a deep abiding faith and love and trust in God, and yet he also is so depressed and he's so near to despairing sometimes he knows the character of God and yet he feels the brokenness in himself and that brokenness leads him to do broken things sometimes anyway I'm starting to ramble about all this and we have just about concluded the song because of course we're back to the chorus which is just hallelujah 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 and again I would express that Leonard Cohen, I think, is very intentionally um, harping on this one word as a means of showing demonstrably that it's not a matter of being articulate, of being intellectual. It's not a matter of saying the right words or forming the right arguments. At the end of the day, we just have this groaning inside of us that we're trying to figure out what it means and (laughs) piling words upon words doesn't necessarily help the situation, although I hope that um, this podcast has been beneficial for us all. I think it's been beneficial for me. Certainly contemplating the song, dwelling in the meaning of it, has been beneficial to me. So I'm I'm grateful to have recorded this and kind of um, gone through the the deep confines of it. So, uh, so for the interpretation of the song, we're going to leave it about there. Um, do you disagree with me about anything that, uh, that I've said it is 100% legitimate to disagree? Go ahead and write me a note or a comment or a message, find a way to get to me. And, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it because man, I want to hear, I want to, I want to hear what the other perspectives are out there. And as far as uh, anything else uh, that you can do in response to this podcast, uh, as I said at the beginning, this is the first episode. So if you would, if you have a mind to share this with someone who you think would enjoy it, um, I'm not going to be on Patreon or anything for a little while unless this starts to kind of catch fire and then maybe we'll start doing some different kinds of podcasts and uh, have some little extra goodies or, or have a 
an opportunity for people to donate. But if there's anything you could do for me right now, I'd just appreciate it if you share this around and let people know that it's out there um, for anyone who might want to experience it and uh, and argue with me online about it. That would be great. That'd be a good time. And also, um, let me know if you have suggestions for songs to do in the future because um, I'm not just going to be doing ones from a long time ago. Um, you know, not that eighties is a super long time ago, but, um, I'm, I'm interested in doing newer songs, new songs as well. Um, so the, that is the plan, um, for my second episode here on, I've got on the dock waiting in the wings. Um, my plan is to do the sound of silence by Simon and Garfunkel. So stay tuned for that should be coming along pretty quick here. And, uh, Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Bye.